I'm going to be reading the first seven verses of chapter 13, which can be found on page 1140. It's page 1140, chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Thank you very much, Heather, for reading. Uh, Romans is a big book. Um, I guess you know that. Um, it, its impact um, in history is huge. Uh, Romans is the book that launched the Reformation, uh, that spoke into uh, the pre-Reformation practices um, and teaching about purgatory and penance, about indulgences and priestcraft, and spoke fresh the gospel of grace and brought about uh, the reformation uh, that gives us uh, the Protestant faith as it is today. Uh, into that false thinking, uh, Romans declared a gospel of grace. A gospel that's not based on, on what we do, uh, but that is based on what God has done for us. But Romans is big, not just because of its historical impact. Uh, Romans is a big book because of its reach, because of the span of its vision, if you like. See, what this book tells us is that you, you can't isolate the Christian gospel um, and tuck it into some religious compartment in your life. What this book tells us is that because of the gospel of grace... Everything changes. Everything about the way that somebody lives is altered. Uh, you, you'll have picked up, I guess, um, uh, if you've been with us over recent weeks, that the basic structure of the book. Um, chapters 1 through to 11 describe the gospel to us. This glorious gospel of grace. Um, this gospel that... A friend of mine was describing recently as the gospel of the swap. 
The gospel that says that God has come down from heaven, squeezed himself, if you like, from his greatness, his glory, into uh, the size of a human being, into the person of Jesus Christ. And he has done that in order that a swap might take place. Because what Jesus has done is that on the cross, Jesus has taken our place in order that up in heaven, we might have his place. That's the swap. Him on the cross because of me, me, astonishingly, in heaven with God because of him. That's the swap at the heart of the Christian faith. And whenever someone has a personal experience of that gospel of grace, whenever whenever someone encounters that grace, comes to believe it for themselves, well, everything changes. The reach of the impact of that gospel upon a person uh, couldn't be bigger. And, And that's what chapters 12 onwards begins to describe. Uh, do you remember how, how chapter 12 begins? Just, just flick back a page if you've still got Romans open. I'd love you to have it open because we're going we're gonna to puzzle over these verses uh, that are full of challenge for us. But just flick back a page. Um, you see on page 1139, having, having gone through the gospel, chapters 1 to 11, then, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Here you go, he says. From now on, we're going to say, this is what it means. In view of God's mercy, in view of this message that we've spent 11 chapters considering, in view of this message of God's mercy, here's everything that that is then implied as a result. Your true and proper worship, your response, uh, what you do in reaction to this astonishing, glorious, wonderful swap. Um, and, And Paul begins to work through Um, a a huge range of implications. We've looked at some of them already. Um, uh, And then uh, this evening, we discover that the impact of this gospel of grace reaches even the way that we view politics and government and a general election. It it reaches the way that we view the police force and traffic wardens. It reaches the way that we think about speed limits and income tax return forms. It changes the way that we view the courts and prisons and the entire criminal justice system. It's got a big reach. Um, And it's that area uh, that we enter into at the beginning of chapter 13. Um, Tonight, what we're going to be thinking about is the relationship uh, that a Christian believer has uh, with the state, with the governing authorities. Now, I should say that um, uh, this evening I'm going to use those two phrases pretty much interchangeably, uh, the state and the governing authorities. Um, Technically, you can tease them apart. Um, I'm not sure that I understand all the... the I'm sure I don't understand all of the fine detail um, as well as um, perhaps other people here do. So forgive me if I'm just simplistic. I'm just going to speak in terms of the Christian's relationship to the state, um, to to the authorities uh, of the world in which we find ourselves placed. 
Okay? Um, and uh, we're going to try and uh, sort of ask and answer three questions, um, and uh, they are these. Um, what is our relationship to the state? Why is this to be our relationship? And how exactly does such a relationship work out in practice? Those are our, our three sort of headings, as it were. Okay? First, um, what, according to Paul, is the relationship a Christian believer is to have with the civil authorities, with the state? Um, the answer couldn't be clearer, could it? Um, it's, uh, it's there, you've got it open, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Uh, uh, Paul repeats the same idea a little bit further down in verse 5, therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities. It's bold, it's clear, it's a sweeping statement. Be subject to, be submissive to, make yourself obedient to the governing authorities. And maybe, almost immediately, you're saying to yourself, what, really? What, I mean, under all circumstances? What if the governing authorities are corrupt? What if they're ungodly? What if, on December the 12th, my party doesn't get in? I still got to submit, even then? When the other lot are in? Well, we'll get to the hard cases in a moment and puzzle over those in due course. Um, but I've listened to a number of talks this week um, on these verses who spent almost all their time sort of working out all the exceptions, you know, all the points where this didn't apply. And I don't want to make that mistake. I do want us to hear the positive thing that's being said, which is that a Christian believer should submit to the governing authorities. That should be our default position, if you like. When, when relating to those who are in positions of power, our default position is to accept their authority. Our instinct, if you like, the instinct of a Christian believer, isn't towards rebellion and resistance. The instinct of a Christian believer should be towards submission, uh, towards respect for authority. Um, and this isn't just a sort of funny idea that Paul has. Um, get exactly the same thing from Peter um, in his first letter. Remember this? Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Both Paul and Peter agree on this basic principle. Now, remember that, that Paul and Peter are, are not writing in a period of of calm, ease, and tranquility when everything that the authorities did was decent and marvelous and glorious. That wasn't the period of the first century. They had just seen Jesus arrested and abused by the authorities. At the time they were writing, probably, Emperor Claudius was ordering the expulsion of all the Jews from Rome. Many think it was probably actually that he was trying to force Christians uh, out of Rome uh, and using that as his category. And pretty soon, uh, only a few decades further on from uh, when uh, Paul is writing here, Emperor Nero will instigate uh, a terrible persecution uh, against Christian believers. Paul himself knew firsthand the way in which power could be abused. Paul had been repeatedly arrested, imprisoned, and flogged. So 
so when Paul writes these words, um, submit yourselves, uh, sorry, when Paul writes these words to say uh, that a Christian should be subject to the governing authorities, he's not naive. He knows that those governing authorities um, may not act um, in godly ways. Uh, But he still makes this clear, bold, sweeping statement, um, and we need to listen to it. Okay, so so what is the relationship um, that a Christian should have to the state? Uh, One of submission, one of... um, respect for second why why is this to be the nature uh, of a christian's relationship well the answer is because every governing authority has been established by god as his servant uh, paul says that over and over again you see that verse one let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which god has established in case we missed it, he says it again immediately. The authorities that exist have been established by God, end of verse 1. And then repeats almost exactly the same thing in slightly different language in verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. He says it over and over again. Every authority has been established by God. You find that a bit unnerving? The authority of Saddam Hussein? The authority of King John Un? The authority of Robert Mugabe? The authority of Stalin? All established by God? And yet that is what seems to be being said here, doesn't it? And the Bible confirms that idea in other places. Um, So, for example, in the Old Testament, um, just about one of the worst kings of Israel was Jeroboam. But writing about the political machinations that led to Jeroboam uh, coming into power, um, we read in 1 Kings, this turn of events was from the Lord. He did it. The Lord put Jeroboam in place. Um, Or, uh, a little bit later on, Um, You think about um, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the uh, the king of Babylon, ruled over a mighty empire um, and inflicted a terrible siege on Jerusalem um, and finally sacked and destroyed Jerusalem uh, with all sorts of barbarity. Well, of Nebuchadnezzar, the prophet Jeremiah says... Now I will give your countries into the hands... Or this is Jeremiah speaking on behalf of God. I will give all your countries into the hands of my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Here is God saying, this Babylonian king is my servant, who I've put in authority to exact uh, history as I plan it to be. And perhaps most striking of all, um, when Pilate prepares to sentence Jesus, the Son of God, to death. Do you remember that that Pilate and Jesus have a little bit of a conversation about authority? Do you you remember that? Um, And Jesus has been silent before Pilate, refusing to answer any of his questions. Um, And so Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? 
Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Remember what Jesus says? You would have no power over me if it were not given you, given to you from above. The Bible seems clear. It is God who gives people into positions of authority. Of course, that doesn't mean that God approves of the way that the authority is used. It doesn't mean that those who are put into place of authority may not do evil things which are contrary uh, to, to the things that God desires. But he's still in control of it. Do, do you see the difference? And it's a really important uh, difference. And all of that means that within certain limits, there is an expectation that because the authorities have been in place by God, we should submit to them. Paul expands on the thinking um, in verses uh, 3 and 4. Um, just look at those verses with me now. Rulers, Paul says, hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what's right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're God's servants. Agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, you see all sorts of things tucked into those verses, don't you? Uh, you, you understand that the, that the authorities, that the state, has been given the authority to inflict punishment. Uh, and one of the things that we need to recognize is that in our preoccupation with um, the rehabilitation of the, the offender, oh, which is a good thing, um, we have lost sight of the important role that the state has to dispense appropriate punishment for wrongdoing. That, that is part of what the state does. It doesn't bear the sword for no reason. Um, whether or not you think that that refers to capital punishment, we haven't got time to, to consider that tonight, but clearly it implies that the state is given the authority to dispense judgment. And it's an important authority. Um, uh, but then also notice that in these verses, the, the authorities are represented twice as God's servants. Um, the word actually used there um, is uh, the same uh, original word in the Greek. Um, that refers to um, deacons or ministers in church leadership. It's exactly the same word. Same sort of sense of these are my appointed leaders I think we see it this way in our sin infected world we do have a proper need for order we do need a system that um, restrains wrongdoing we need police forces we need law courts we need punishment. If you don't have those things, what you will have instead is anarchy. And, and to some extent, even the worst 
regimes nevertheless impose that degree of, of order that resists anarchy. Now, they may do lots of things that, that are immoral, um, but they are still also providing some kind of structure, uh, even if it's a less than ideal kind of structure. And I think that, that that's the idea that lies behind this. I mean, if you imagine being in a country where there was no police force, where something terrible is happening and you dial 999 and, the, and there's no one there, there isn't a 999 to dial. Can you imagine living in a place like that? Or, or you are terribly, terribly abused by somebody doing something terribly wrong to you, uh, either in a, in a material sense or in a physical sense. And you appeal for justice, but there is no court. There is no system of law to appeal to. I mean, we can't imagine it because that state of anarchy, thank God, doesn't exist. Even in regimes that we don't like very much, there is still some order imposed by the regime. Do, do, do you see? Uh, so so there, is, there is something good about having an authority, having, having a government, having a state that provides some order in the face of the chaos that would otherwise be. Um, even the worst of states say that stealing is wrong um, and that people shouldn't murder. Um, and uh, we're glad of that. So we should submit uh, to such authorities and be grateful to God for them. And one of the reasons that we, we do this, that we submit to the authorities and we pray for those in authority, is in order that things might be calm enough, ordered enough, that we can get on with the business of trying to build the kingdom of Christ. Um, that, that's what uh, uh, Paul says in his letter to Timothy. Um, let's see these uh, verses uh, from there. I urge then, Paul writes to Timothy, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all good, godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Do you see the connection? In, in, a, in a chaotic, disordered culture, it's going to be very hard to get on with the business of declaring uh, the gospel and building a church. So we, we pray for some order to our society in order that we can do that. But how do we do this submitting? Okay, so, so far, um, I've given you the basic premise. Uh, what's our relationship to the state? It is to be one of submission. Uh, I've also suggested to you that um, uh, we do that because God has put those authorities in place uh, and they are his servants for justice. But then thirdly, I, I want to think a little bit about how, okay, to get to some of the nitty-gritty. Um, so uh, we're going to do this slightly differently because um, I know this is all a little bit giving you less illustrations than I normally do. Um, so I'm going to get you to think now. Okay, here you go. Suppose a government is voted into office that introduces legislation to prevent people speaking about religion in public. It's, it's not actually that far-fetched a scenario, given the, the direction that we're moving in. Okay? Should you pay taxes to such a government? Discuss. I mean, sorry, no, discuss. No, go on. Talk to someone next to you. What do you think? What, what are you going to do? 
If that happens, will you pay taxes to such a government? Uh, okay, um, let me jump in. A- anyone want to, um, we-, we could do a little bit of interaction, to and fro. Um, we're, a, we're a small enough crowd, we could manage that. A- anyone want to sort of volunteer a thought on that? Anyone got a... We're, we're getting there, we're getting there. Patience, patience. Uh, we will arrive there. Um, what do you think? Yes. Yeah, I, I would agree with it. I mean, I, I think this is, this is probably one of the easier ones. Uh, we're going to get much harder from here. Um, <laughs> I mean, we get the answer just later in the passage, don't we? Look at verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. It doesn't say, you know, um, and provided they do a good job, pay your taxes. It just says they give their full time to governing pay your taxes. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Paul is writing about paying taxes to a regime that did sometimes resist the spread of the gospel uh, in his experience in the first century. Uh, But I think it seems pretty clear you still pay your taxes. Okay, let's revisit um, that scenario. Uh, this government is voted into office that introduces legislation to prevent people speaking about religion in public. Do you accept that rule? And do you stop speaking about Jesus in public? Have a minute on that one. Um, we've, got, we've, got, we've, got, we've got another couple of these to do, so um, I'll keep us moving along if I may. Um, uh, thoughts on this? Anyone, anyone want to volunteer a thought on this one? Richard's, Richard's very keen to volunteer other people on the front row. Uh, anyone, else, anyone else got a thought on this? Yeah. Jordan? Sorry, say again. Okay, yes. Um, different people may uh, witness in different ways, perhaps as a result of legislation like this. Yes, I accept that. Yeah. Anyone else got a thought, Cara? 
I think that's, yeah, I, I'm with you, Cara. Cara um, is saying um, that um, in, in the same way that in places we find the idea of submit to your parents, but, um, you know, if your parents are pushing you in a direction that, that you shouldn't be going in, then there is a call to obedience to God that trumps your obedience to your parents, uh, for example. That was your example, wasn't it? Um, I, I think that's right. I mean, I think, I think we do need to recognize the, the sort of different levels of calls to our obedience. And I think it does come to your um, verse, David, um, which I think is up next, is it? Um, where the, um, uh, the, the religious leaders come to Jesus and they're trying to trick him. Uh, tell us then, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? Um, and Jesus says, you know, why are you trying to trick me? Bring me a denarius. So they brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. So he's kind of drawing a distinction, isn't he? That there is, there is a, a respect to be given to the, the authorities, but there is a respect also to be given to God. And I think I'd go with Kara and say that the respect that needs to be given to God, or the obedience that needs to be given to God, must trump our obedience to secular authorities. So where those two are in conflict, where God is calling us to do one thing and the state is calling us to do another, the call to obedience to God must take priority. Um, And I think we get a worked example of that in Acts chapter 5. Next slide, I think. Um, Peter and the other apostles uh, are being criticized by the Sanhedrin who've said, you know, we forbid you from speaking anymore in his name. Um, and they continue to speak. Um, and they haul them back up in front of the Sanhedrin again and said, you know, you're, you know, you're filling the city of Jerusalem with your teaching. And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. You've put us in this dilemma uh, and our obedience must be to God uh, where it's a clear either or. Okay, so I think that's clear. Um, let's, let's, let's keep making it more complicated um, suppose you live in a one party state where one ethnic group is being imprisoned and you hear rumours that while in prison some of these people are being beaten and others seem to be disappearing permanently you're ordered by the state to identify members of that ethnic group to the authorities should you obey um, Time marches on. I won't get you to, to discuss. I mean, th- this one's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, w- I mean yeah, I'm describing Nazi Germany. Um, I'm describing a situation where German citizens were needing to take a decision whether to hide uh, Jewish uh, friends and neighbors, knowing that they risked um, potential loss of life themselves, in order to try and protect um, uh, their Jewish friends and neighbours uh, from being arrested and taken uh, to the extermination camps. Um, now, should they? Should is that the right thing to do? Uh, I think it is, isn't it? Uh, when you see that you have a direct threat to life by an evil regime, and where there is no other recourse to try and resist that regime, uh, then I think that kind of uh, resistance-type movement, that kind of protest, is appropriate. 
Um, here's one more. Let me get you to discuss this one. Um, suppose you live in a slow-moving democracy. There is so little progress on climate change that you believe we're on the brink of a humanitarian crisis. You join a pressure group to try and encourage the government to act. During a demonstration in London, your friends uh, are staging um, a sit-down protest on one of the main bridges, and they plan to refuse to move on when asked to do so by the police. Will you join them? I'll let you talk about that. That's, that's quite hard, isn't it? I mean, we're, we, can, we can talk about these things further over, uh, uh, over tea and coffee in a, in a minute, I guess. But um, any first thoughts? Um, anyone feel like volunteering um, a comment or a thought on that one? No. No? You wouldn't, you, so you wouldn't join? Okay, um, so not not persuaded that anything in the Bible is clear enough um, in terms of a uh, of a something that God demands of us or something that God forbids of us um, that would trump the clear command to respect the authorities. Yeah. Okay. Anyone want to argue in the other direction? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Um, you can see the argument, can't you? Um, uh, if, you know, if that is what you're persuaded of, then does it become sort of, you know, uh, the, the same kind of situation as in Nazi Germany? Um, we, can, we can talk further about this. You may, you may be in a position where you have got to think further about this because you, um, uh, this is something that you feel strongly about and um, there are lots of um, what, are, what are they? Um, there are lots of sort of very respectable people being arrested for the first time, aren't they? Isn't there a phrase for them? Yeah, no, no, no. But there's a, the, particularly the um, the, the elderly. Um, there's lots of there's lots of grey-haired people like me pitching up and getting themselves arrested, and they, I think they've come up with a name for them, but I can't remember. Um, <laughs> it's rude being said there. Um, <laughs> Um, for myself, I think the way that I would land this would be, I don't think that, um, I think the difference between this and Nazi Germany is that there is a political process available to you. That, that there, there is an avenue to pursue change through the, through the, 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 the organization of the state, if you like. Um, it's not a, a one-party system with a totalitarian regime. 
um, we have a political process in which you can argue your case. Um, it is possible to lobby. It is possible to construct your argument. Um, and you are able to do that. Um, and for myself, I would say that that makes a huge difference. Um, and it emphasizes what is very much worth me saying at this stage, uh, which is we must be active politically. If you are thinking, if you're a Christian believer and you're thinking, I'm not sure I can be bothered to vote, can I say that you are seriously in error? It's not my job to tell you how to vote, but I think it is my job to tell you to vote. I think that will be to respect the governing authorities, um, to see that they have been put in place by God, um, and we should be engaged um, in respecting them and engaging with them. Uh, I think that's sort of incumbent upon us. Um, and I think in this case, to pursue our engagement with the political process um, is open to us. Um, and I, I think the instinct not to be a rebel um, would leave me to question whether uh, being involved in Extinction Rebellion um, is an appropriate thing for somebody who's trying to be respectful uh, of the governing authorities. I think that would be the implication of Romans 13. But can I emphasize verse 5, um, which says, um, is that the next slide? Um, um, Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. I recognize that there is an issue of conscience here, and I'm not wanting to be so strong as to ride over your conscience. These are things that you need to puzzle on um, if you find yourself pressed up against them. Um, and be guided by your conscience as you read God's word, talk with others, um, and try to land um, your decisions. Okay, time for us to conclude, uh, more than time for us to conclude. Um, here, here's, what I, here's what I've been trying to say this evening. Uh, I know a slightly different style tonight, a slightly different approach, but I think um, it seemed to me that these verses demanded it. Um, you can tell me afterwards whether uh, you've left with lots of questions that you still want answered. Um, I wanted to say, first of all, that obedience to the gospel um, reaches very, very widely. Um, your worship, your true and proper worship, extends to every part of your life, including your engagement with the state and the political process. Um, I think in relation to that, it does call for submission to the state. Um, we have to puzzle over, the, over some of the exception places, but we mustn't do that so quickly that we lose sight of the basic instruction to submit to the state. Um, and the reason we do that is because God has put those authorities in charge. He's given them his function of being um, uh, his sort of dispensers of judgment even in the present day. Um, but understand that that submission does have limits um, and the authority, the call of God to obey God must come first. Um, I hope those bits are clear, even if some of the bits in between aren't. Shall I pray for us? And then we're going to, um, I think we're going to sing. Uh, thank you for uh, the richness uh, of this letter uh, that speaks to us uh, of uh, the many um, ways uh, in which, or, and, the, and, the, and the extent to which, 
uh, we are called uh, to worship you uh, with every part of our lives. Um, forgive us uh, when we, in some way or other, um, compartmentalize um, our commitment to Christ um, into something that happens on Sundays or in church activities um, and uh, doesn't, um, uh, doesn't find its way into to everything about who we are and what we do. Um, thank you for, for stretching us um, with these uh, particular verses. Um, and we, we pray that as we go on puzzling about them, maybe go on talking about them this evening, uh, that you will uh, help us to see um, aspects of, uh, of the way in which we engage, perhaps in the political process, um, as we come up to this election, um, uh, perhaps in, in very specific ways about issues that um, are very important to us. Um, that you help us to see changes that we might need to make. Um, we don't want um, to be unchanged by our engagement with your word. Speak to us, help us to hear you, um, and help us to grow uh, more and more um, into men and women who live uh, in ways that are pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.